everyone. I'm so happy that you're joining us for the latest video cast Bespoke Conversations here at Skylark International. I'm Nikki Sims and I'll be your host as together we throw some light on some of the key issues affecting women both closer to home and across the world. We'll be hearing the inside track from some incredible women who are changing the story for others in their day-to-day lives. I'm joined today by Laura Young, also known as Less Waste Laura. Laura is an award-winning climate activist, environmental scientist and ethical influencer. She was recently named Scottish Influencer of the Year for her inspirational work. Currently, she's working on a PhD, which has been commissioned by the Scottish government. Her love for the environment is second to none. So, are we ready to be inspired, informed and invested? Let's see what Laura has to share. Laura, welcome to Bespoke Conversations. I am so excited for this chat. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you with us. Now, you are 27 and you are already majorly changing the story when it comes to awareness for climate change and the environment. You've achieved so much. Now, you're known on social media as Less Waste Laura. But before we delve into a huge conversation around all of that, I want to get to know less known Laura. Love that. (laughs) I want a little window behind the scenes into you. So, deep question. Okay, here we go. Do you have any hidden talents? And if you could acquire any talent that you don't have, what would it be? Whoa, I feel I don't have any hidden talents. I feel, you know, um, I used to have a party trick, which was I could open a banana with my feet. And then I was asked to do it and I couldn't. So I now <laughs> no longer say that. <laughs> That's absolutely it was, brilliant. It was a fail. I was like going mushing my feet. It was awful. But if I could have any talent, I would love to be musical. I'm not very musical. And especially because my boyfriend is a bagpipe player. No way. So his whole world is bagpipes and music. And I just wish I could do it. He's actually a two-time world champion, which <gasps> is very niche, I know. That's but, an incredible, yeah. incredible talent to yeah. have. And so especially in Scotland. I know. Does that's it come in handy? So handy. And especially like bagpipes are every event, every celebration, every wedding. So it's great to just roll him out. And like everyone's always looking <laughs> at him like, oh, we've got this thing coming up, Jamie, in case you want to pop along with your bagpipe. So very, very handy. Brilliant. Okay, so... Maybe hidden talents when it comes to to music, or yeah. you'd like to have a hidden like talent when that. it comes to music, like your boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, now, thinking about you and your childhood, you grew up in Scotland, and um, I'd love to know what did your school report say about you? How would you describe yourself as a child? Mm. I think it would probably say loud. Oh, so I think I'm a classic younger sister. I've got one older brother. I was very loud. Yeah. You know, my mum said that, you know, if she came to the swimming pool, she could hear me that I was in there kind of shouting above <laughs> the rest. So it probably says something about that. Um, but I think, you know, I was quite bubbly. I was quite confident. I did loads of stuff growing up, like dancing and, you know, those kind of things. And so you're sort of forced to be confident, to learn confidence, to get on stage. So I think my school report card would hopefully say something about confident, maybe a bit funny, a bit loud. Um, and I was okay at school. So I would hope that also like good grades would, would maybe be on there as well. Fast forward to today. 42,000 followers on Instagram. You advocate for issues around environment and sustainability. You have spoken on countless platforms. You are changing the game. 
When did that passion for the environment begin to spark in you and how did your journey unfold to lead you to where you are now? Well, I mean, it's a great question because I think what I'm doing now is it's not really a job that you could easily package, you know, so growing up, I didn't say that's what I want to do. You know, I want to do stuff on social media. Or I want to be a campaigner. Right. But I think there was two things at school that probably influenced it quite a lot. The first is growing up, me and my family exclusively went on holiday to Scottish destinations. So I felt like I really got to know Scotland, the outdoors, the beaches, yeah. the mountains. And I did Duke of Edinburgh at school. So kind of growing up, I was very familiar with the outdoor world, very confident getting out and about. And I loved it. But when you do that, you also get to see how it's being degraded, how it's, you know, you know, footpaths are being eroded away or there's litter in some of the most beautiful spots in the UK. So I kind of had that as growing up, you know, knowing that I really liked the outdoors and, and wanted to spend my time there. Yeah. But I also only like the subject geography. So <laughs> my report card from high school probably would have said only interested in this one subject but it meant that I wanted to go and pursue it further so geography is really broad you know there's not a standard job that you get at the end of you know studying geography but I knew I wanted to look into it so at the end of school you know went to university and and did geography and environmental science so I think my interest and my passion for spending time outdoor with nature you know being on family holidays in Scotland but also really getting to understand the subject is what brought me into this field yes but I think there's a lot of, when you learn about this stuff, I'm left with the question, so what now? Like, right. so what do we do with, you yeah. know, all this information? Are we just supposed to sit and have it in our heads? Or are we supposed to say, okay, let's go and try and change it? So I always knew that I was going to work in this space, but I didn't necessarily know what that would look like. And it's changed, you know, it's changed over time. I've been in different roles, different projects, but certainly it was something that came really organically from loving the subject at school and wanting to spend time outdoors yeah now you as a young adult you obviously began to engage in different ways that you could live more sustainably you became more conscious about the choices you were making with your consumption and how ethical that was but I suppose my question is at that age what was it when was this pivot point for you between this is what I do and the choices I'm making yeah. to actually I could create a platform where I influence others to do the same yeah I didn't you know people often talk about a light bulb moment so like yeah. when was your light bulb moment and I don't think I ever had a light bulb moment with the information because as a kid you you learn it in school and you know everyone kind of grew up with it around it but I did certainly have a starting point for all of the kind of campaigning work and it was 2018 New Year's Day. Wow. I went on a walk with friends and family and we were chatting about, you know, you're sort of looking to the year ahead mm. and thinking about New Year's resolutions, goals for the year, that sort of thing. And at that time, I was coming to the end of my final year of university. I didn't know what I was going to do for a job, but I was kind of thinking about the year ahead. And I really wanted something to try and ground myself for the year because I knew it was going to be a lot of change, a lot of moving around. And as we were on this walk along the east coast of Scotland, this beautiful beach, we started to just come across rubbish, like litter everywhere. And that's annoying at the best of times, but especially when you're in this new year, new me kind of, you know, yeah. thinking about the year ahead. So it was actually on that day that I decided, okay, maybe that's what I challenged myself with for this year. Instead of having a sort of standard New Year's resolution, why don't I make one about being more sustainable? Like as broad as that is, I just thought, let's go on a bit of a journey and, and think about it. And it was halfway through January, you know, I was 
I went home, realized everything's in plastic. I've got a big challenge ahead of me, but I started to look at all the different products that are available, the different information that's out, out there. I took my academic knowledge and started to actually put it into practice. And about halfway through January, people were asking me like, oh, what was that brand that you were talking about? Or hold on a minute, you were talking about how this isn't as good as this. Can you explain that a bit more? And I realized there's a real appetite for people to, to learn Definitely. more. Definitely. And so I started an Instagram page because I thought I should probably write it down. You know, I'm texting people all the time and having these conversations. Let's document it. And, you know, I didn't want to bombard people that I already knew. Like, I didn't want to put it on my Facebook or my kind of regular space because I thought if people haven't signed up for it, they, you know, they can find it if they want yeah. or they can leave it out. And so I started this Instagram page, Less Waste Laura, because that was what I was trying to do. Love it. And I just started documenting, you know, I just started talking to people and explaining and, and, Honestly, it kind of started as that. You know, it was just a place to, do to document. There was no goal. There was no trajectory. It was just, this is a place that if people want to come and, and learn about what I'm trying to do or get pieces of information, then they can find it. And honestly, throughout 2018, it just exploded. And I think that's because so many people, maybe they'd watched Blue Planet too and, you know, kind of saw it on their TV yes. screens or there was all these news stories. And so for me, like, it honestly started there. But over time, thousands of people joined it's now, you know, it's not just Instagram, it's, you know, Twitter, I've got a LinkedIn, you know, you're engaging in all these different spaces. I'm even on like TikTok now, which is great. And, you know, I think it grows and it becomes a space not just for saying, here's a great product, like go and try it out. But actually it's, here's a big issue. Let's try and discuss it and, and talk about it and let's all learn. And then let's, let's see what action can come from that. I'm so inspired by that for two reasons I think firstly we've probably all turned the page on a new year mm. and felt this little prompt inside that there are some changes we could make but truthfully we don't all follow through on that yeah. so that challenges me uh, but secondly I love the idea that you're taking on this absolutely enormous and slightly overwhelming area and going on a learning journey and kind of yeah. bringing people on board with you even though you're super qualified I love that thing of we're lifelong learners and yeah. bringing people into that kind of space of learning and growing together now since then you have seen some incredible things I know that you've given a TED talk you've been to COP conferences and you have spoken out about this issue in the media countless times I guess my question is what have been some of your biggest accomplishments mm. so far I think the TED talk was brilliant because quite often I get asked to come and speak to groups that are already super engaged. You know, it's like school equal groups or it's community groups that are doing, you know, right. equal projects. They're already on board. You're, you know, you're preaching to the converted, yeah. like it's all good. And that's great, you know, and it's absolutely amazing to do that. But the TED Talk was a perfect example where I had for eight minutes the attention of 3,000 people who didn't necessarily come wow. to hear about environmental stuff. They came to hear a range of different talks. They maybe came because they know the TED brand or they maybe came because they knew another speaker or maybe they just came to hear from a variety of speakers. But I had their attention for eight minutes. I thought, this is great. Like, they have to sit there and listen. They've paid to sit and listen to this. <laughs> so I think that was an example of where it sort of broke out of, you know, we talk about bubbles and echo chambers. And, you know, I think that was a great example of that. Yeah. And, you know, from that, I, I talked about plastic, single-use plastic. And I gave a really, really tangible example at the end. And it was kind of funny because 
the talk wasn't about plastic bottles of milk, but that was a, a kind of visual example that I gave at the end. So I wanted to show people that when it comes to problems like climate change, plastic pollution, it can feel way too big and out of our control. But I wanted to show them, actually, just by changing one or two things, you can actually have quite a big impact, even just for yourself. So I actually collected a family of four's worth of milk bottles over a year as a sort of visual oh, representation. That's such a good idea. It was really good. And so I had six volunteers come on with big bundles of stuff at the end of the talk and this mountain of plastic bottles was standing beside me. So this massive visual impact. Huge thing. And so at the end I was saying, if you just find one swap, this being an example you can make a difference. And so I sort of pulled out this little ball of tin foil that was in my back pocket the whole time. And it was made from the little foil caps that you get on the glass milk bottles. And I was saying, this is the same amount of milk over here, right? But it was a visual representation. And I think it was to get people thinking about yeah. maybe there's something. But actually the funniest thing from that was after the talk, there was all these milk companies getting in touch <laughs> going, we've had all these people sign up, what's happened? But it showed that when people get the information yeah. and they learn something and they feel like it's manageable and doable, they actually go out and they do it. And I thought that's what I want to do. So the, the TED Talk was you know, a brilliant example, but I think so many times as well, there's been great opportunities where I've been able to speak to global brands. Mm. I got to do a launch interview with the chief executive of Volkswagen wow. when they were launching one of their new electric vehicles and that was also a point to say you know let's just call a spade a spade you guys have had controversial stuff in the past when it comes to cars and carbon emissions let's talk about that and it was a great chance to sit down with a global brand leader and have that conversation and you know you get to go and speak to politicians and and all these different spaces and that is a real privilege but it's a great chance to say I'm not only going to talk about this on social media or to little community groups although that's important I also get to take my work into some spaces that are really influential but be that voice that is like challenging them and what they're doing what an opportunity that's incredible and I love what you describe about you know there are there are contexts where you're invited in specifically and you know you've got an audience who are with you they're already there but to actually be making an impact uh, with people who perhaps haven't yet embarked on that journey and to give them next steps is really good And and I guess that kind of leads me neatly into my next question really because you would describe your own journey as one from plastic abuser to conscious consumer and I'd love to understand a little bit more about what that looked like for you and for those of us who perhaps feel like this just seems like such an overwhelming issue and we know it's critical we know it's urgent but either we can just feel lazy and we like convenience and we like things to be quick or we can just feel confused about where we can start and what some of those simple changes are. So would you give us some next steps for how we can actually make some changes to the way we live, the way we consume and the way we shop? Yeah, of course. And, you know, I think there's also a a third option in there, which is apathy. You know, I think there is also people just kind of losing interest. Mm. And I think it's because, you know, plastic, waste, climate change, although they are urgent, they're also going on all the time, right? You know, it's kind of always there. And so I I understand that people grow to just kind of be disinterested, but there's so much we can do. And actually, when I was doing my New Year's resolution, this is one of the things that I started with. Because when you want to make a difference, there's so many different ways you could do it. You could do it through your travel, through your finances, through your consumption, your food, like 
it's endless, but what comes with that is almost paralyzed with choice. Yeah. So one of the things that I did is I did a little audit, like an audit of my life and said, what am I consuming? What am I wasting? How can I be changing that? And it started really simply with a waste audit. So I looked at, for two weeks, I just collected everything. Even if I was out and about, I would just bring stuff home. And after two weeks, I just set it all out in my kitchen floor to my flatmates' <laughs> despair. But I sort of had all this stuff on the floor and was like, let's just look through it. Let's see what, as an individual, I'm actually producing. That's what impact am I having? idea. And from it, you can sort, you know, you can sort things out. And, and one of the things that I realised is, 50% of the stuff that was on my kitchen floor was just to do with convenience on the go food. Mm. So I was in uni, I was getting coffees out all the time, I was getting meal deals, I was constantly buying food, like takeaway from cafes and restaurants. So I thought, okay, well, there's one thing I can tackle. I can just try and get myself a reusable coffee cup, try and remember like a set of cutlery and, you know, a wee tub if I do get stuff. And I'll just try and remember to think about my lunch and think about that as one aspect. And within a few weeks, first of all, I was taking the bin out half the time. So that's great. But also I was, you know, physically seeing the difference I was making. So, you know, for everyone, I would say that's something we can all do. And, you know, when I was chatting to my grandparents about this, they never have coffee on the go. They like to sit, relax in a cafe, watch the world go by. So for them, a coffee cup is not something they needed to buy. But for them, they had other things that, that they could address. So for individuals, for families, even I, I get businesses to do it as well and say, you know, actually look at what you're producing and just pick one strategy and say, right, that's the thing we're tackling. Let's find a solution. But I think you can broaden it out because, you know, a big part of our impact, especially climate impact, you know, the carbon emissions associated, is just to do with stuff. You know, it's the stuff that we buy. It's the endless consumption. And, and often it's just without thinking. And I remember one of the things that I first did in this kind of year of just trying to be more sustainable is I deleted all my online shopping accounts. I don't have an Amazon account. I don't have any fast fashion brand accounts. I just deleted them all. That's so interesting. And actually the world didn't end, right? (laughs) You're still here. I'm still here. And partly it meant that, you know, there was times that I wanted to buy something and I went onto the, you know, website and I found what I wanted and I went to click buy. And then it reminded me, oh, I don't have an account. And I thought, this is good. This is reminding me that... It takes a moment to pause and say, do I actually need it? Is there another way I can get it? You know, it just makes you think. I still get loads of clothes. I get them secondhand. I rent fashion. I mend them. Well, I take them to a seamstress. I can't sew. That's a skill I'd like to have. Oh, I'd like to too. be able to sew. Me too. But it just makes you pause and think. And so I think, you know, that's something we can all also do is, you know, I don't miss having all these online accounts. I can still get everything that I need, but it just means I take a pause and, you know, I think it opens up a world that that is out there that is way more sustainable, that doesn't mean we're constantly spending our money on stuff that we don't need. And like, even just to give like a tangible example. Yeah. Um. So when I moved to Dundee, I moved there a year ago to start my PhD and I moved into a flat that I had to furnish. I bought a flat and, and I had all these things that I wanted to do. And I had this big, heavy mirror. It was like the one thing I couldn't put up on the wall just with a sort of hammer and nail. And so I thought, okay, right, I need, I YouTubed it as young people do. And I thought, <laughs> right, so I, I think I need a power drill and I need all these things. Right, okay, I'll go to B&Q. Went to B&Q and I was standing looking at the shelf going, this is so much money. You know, these, like the cheapest one was like 60, 70 pounds. I thought, that's a lot of money. I only need it for one thing. There must be a better way. And I ended up speaking to one of my colleagues about it. And she said, well, there's a Dundee tool library. Why don't you go and check that out? No way. I had no idea what this was. And so for £10 a year, you just sign up and you get to borrow anything you want 
for free. So you That's pay the £10. Brilliant. And not only did I save myself money, I didn't. I don't have a drill lying completely wasted in my house. I also got to go in, have a chat with somebody, mm. meet some more people in my community, learn to not electrocute myself, drilling in <laughs> wires and all sorts. And I just thought, what a better way to do things. So often when we talk about, you know, what are the things we can all do? And, you know, I'm talking about waste audits and cutting things out. It feels like sacrifice. But actually it opens up a whole world of, you know, learning how to do things, upskilling yourself, supporting like local sustainable businesses and meeting more communities. So it's not all just about the environmental side, but it's about also unlocking what the amazing potentials are in your community most times for doing things a little bit differently. That's so helpful to hear. Thank you. Now, you're an ambassador for Tear Funds, an international charity which supports those in poverty and disaster relief. Uh, now, as you visited other nations, um, I'm sure that you've witnessed firsthand some of the injustices across the world that affect women more specifically. With that in mind, can you tell me any of your experiences and how they've impacted you? Yeah, and it's such a, a huge issue because when we talk about climate change, it doesn't impact everybody the same way. There's obviously countries that are more impacted than others. And a standard kind of rule of thumb is actually climate change impacts those the most who have contributed to it the least. Right. So that is an injustice. But Massively. even when you hear about countries that have been impacted, again, there are different people in the community that are impacted differently. Young people, old people, disabled communities and women. Women is a big one. And as part of my work with Tear Fund, um, I've learned so much about the way that climate change is an injustice. But there was really one story that stuck in mind. Mm. So um, earlier in my kind of career, I think it was around 2019, I got to go to Uganda. So I got to go and visit amazing communities, have been doing work to, I guess, address lots of different problems. And years before this trip, like 10 years before this trip, even longer than that, um, there was a project called the Diocese of Kigezi. So it's a church diocese and they were addressing various problems. And one of the problems that they'd been addressing was gender-based violence and, you know, women and girls who were really at risk of a variety of different things. And one of the things that they found was women and girls are you know, culturally the ones who have to go out, they have to get the water, they have to do the cooking, they have to look after the home. And a lot of these journeys were quite treacherous. They were through dangerous places, it put them at risk. So for decades, they've been doing water projects to bring water closer to homes, to communities, safe drinking clean water, of course, but actually addressing a lot of gender inequality. But we came to visit this project because they were facing another threat and that threat was climate change. So over the decades, they've been able to do amazing work in kind of looking at gender inequality, but climate change is making their work harder. And so here were all these women and girls who for years had been really empowered um, and were moving forward with, with what they were doing with education, with their community work. And suddenly that was being made harder because the rivers were drying up and the water was becoming polluted because all this soil was coming when the flash floods did. And so this project was talking about actually climate change is making women and girls lives harder. And although we've addressed many of the cultural aspects of this, now we are having to continue the work because women and girls are yet again at risk again. And I think that is a story that we hear all over the world. Yeah. You know, many times it's women who are doing the farming, doing, you know, collecting the water and they're the ones that are put at risk. And I think that is something that 
you know, keeps us spurred on to say that actually climate change is not just about a polar bear on a little ice cap that's melting. It's about communities, it's about people. And if we care about women, women and girls, equality, if we care about everyone, we need to be looking at what is affecting them and that is climate change. That's so powerful and actually really moving because we exist at Bespoke Conversations to shine a light on those issues that specifically impact women um, and on women who are doing extraordinary things to change the narrative for society as a whole. And I know that as I've been researching this topic in preparation for our time together, one of the things that really struck me is a report that I read um, published by the United Nations back in February 2022. And I'm going to quote it because I just found this so interesting. It says this, the climate crisis is not gender neutral. Women and girls experience the greatest impacts of climate change, which amplifies existing gender inequalities and poses unique threats to their livelihoods, health and safety. And I just wonder if you can speak a little bit more to the reasons behind this, but also help us understand how we can be part of changing that status quo, because it's not right. Yeah, and... It makes me think about a project that I did this year. It was actually with Tear Fund, but with a host of other Christian organisations. And all these different organisations were addressing different problems. So one was called Christians Against Poverty. It's very UK-based, you know, addressing problems here in the UK with poverty. Great organisation. There was the Bible Society, the Evangelical Alliance, you know, sitting in that space of what do Christians think about these issues? How do we, you know, push the agenda forward? Um, Alpha, you know, and, and with a focus on young people. But one of the most interesting conversations I had was with IGM, so the International Justice Mission. Yeah. And I had a conversation with Zoe, who works for IGM. And the whole point in this whole project was having conversations about climate change and saying, does your work talk about it? Does it connect? Are we doing totally different things? How do all our worlds collide? And so IGM is set up to be addressing the problems of global trafficking and and kind of modern day slavery. Not necessarily something that you would think links to climate change. Not initially, no. But when we had this conversation, I was asking, the whole point was, you know, does climate change come into your work? And I was very happy for her to say no. And then we would, you know, that, that would be something that we could go from. But actually she said, well, People are most vulnerable when they are on the move, when they are displaced, when they are taken from their homes and either sold into modern day slavery or forced to move. And they've been looking at, well, why do people move? Why are people vulnerable? So things like conflicts and war are something that come up. And when these things happen, who are the first people on the borders to take advantage of them? You know, it's people smugglers. It's these networks who are taking them in. What is one of the biggest reasons people are now being displaced climate change people are having to leave their homes leave their communities because they can no longer farm their houses often are washed away so you know pakistan a third of the country was underwater because of climate change the horn of africa is in an extreme drought and famine people are having to move around and at the borders at the places of most vulnerability are people who want to take advantage of them. And so through this conversation, Zoe was saying, IGM sees climate change as the next big source of people being trafficked. And who are the most vulnerable in those situations? It's women and girls. And I think this is what we need to see is actually, and this is a note to myself, Mm. to take a step back and say, 
let's not get too focused, laser focused on my issue and only talk about climate change. It's about taking a step back and saying, how does this all connect and how can we be supporting one another? If we address climate change, we address people being displaced and being vulnerable and being potentially trafficked. If we address climate change, we stop people from having mouldy walls and leaky windows here in the UK, people living in poverty. If we address climate change, we're also linking in with young people who feel climate anxiety and all of these things come together. And I think women and girls are at the heart of it because they are globally some of the most vulnerable people. Yes. Whether it's being displaced or whether it's, you know, the pressures being put on often single mums who are being told, you know, you need to run this family. Oh, and you need to do it in an eco-friendly way. That's a big burden and a big pressure. Mm -hmm. So I think it all comes together. And it's important, though, that we do take that step back and see how it all intertwines and not just get stuck in our silos. Because also when we work together, we can achieve the most out of this you know we're not just addressing climate change we're addressing trafficking poverty at home here in the UK all these things together and I think that's a real big lesson that we can all take away absolutely and it's so encouraging firstly to hear how all of those organizations are coming together pooling their resources to actually look at how these issues intersect find that really inspiring but it's also great to think more broadly because it's true that we can we can look at this as a justice issue and it is but as you have rightly pointed out it's also a people issue and that's what should motivate us that's the why isn't it behind the what we can do now You are highly qualified in this field. You have a degree, you have a master's, and you're currently doing a whole bunch of research for your PhD, which I believe was funded by the Scottish government. I'd love you to tell me more about that because this is another example of the power of collaboration, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm one year into a four-year PhD programme and it's funded by the Scottish government. It's through a Hydro Nations program. So there's a whole bunch of scholars. That sounds very highbrow. It, I like to think so. But, <laughs> but when I'm sitting in my pyjamas in bed doing my research, it doesn't feel very highbrow. But it's, it's really good. So it's a collaborative space. There's lots of different scholars from all over the world who've come to Scotland to be addressing issues, particularly in the space of water. But that's very broad. So my project is looking at Here in the UK, we are beginning to see the impacts of climate change. We've just had horrific flooding up in Scotland. Brecon, one of the most impacted places, is one council over from where I live. You know, people's homes have been completely ruined. Lives turned upside down. Flooding is a big issue. We also have water scarcity, even in Scotland. You know, we struggle in some areas to be getting water to the right people in the right places. You wouldn't imagine that. You would never know that. Because what climate change is doing to the UK is making what we already have more extreme. Mm. So winters are getting wetter and more wild and summers are getting drier and hotter. Mm. And that causes a lot of problems. And also just the places that we live. We lack good infrastructure for flooding and heat and drought. But we also just lack good green spaces places for people to just hang out, experience nature and all the benefits that that brings. So we know that in the face of climate change, we need to be changing the places that we live in. We need to become more climate resilient because otherwise we're going to have to all be moving to places that that are better suited. But we want to do that with communities. We don't want to just have the council or businesses plopping in and saying, right, we're just going to do what we want here and you need to all deal with it. And not just because that's unhelpful but also because 
that's what fuels the kind of political football agenda of this stuff. You know, right. low emission zones, ULEs, all these things become controversial if communities don't want them or don't like them or don't understand them. It suddenly becomes a not in my backyard, absolutely not. And it's all very controversial and it doesn't need to be. So we want to bring communities along. We want them to understand why these initiatives need to be put in place, what the amazing benefits are from them, but also we want them to help design them, you know, mm. build them, be a community. So my project is looking at, after all that big ramble, how do we effectively and inclusively engage communities in this space? So building up climate resilience where they are so that we can live with water. You know, water is the kind of key theme of a lot of climate change issues. You know, live in these places and understand why we need to change. And so that's what I'm going to be looking at over the next four years. Amazing. And hopefully setting a bit of a framework to say, you know, here is a way that we can better engage people all the benefits that it brings and here's how we can implement that here in Scotland and create a bit of a template, you know, for anyone to be able to use to do that. And there's so many people in the community that are completely missed out, but such an opportunity to unlock their knowledge, their wisdom, their ideas, creativity in a way that will benefit the planet, benefit nature, biodiversity, but also us and our communities where we live. I mean, you're so much more likely to do something if you have contributed to the idea and to the concept behind it. So I love what you're doing. It sounds fascinating. Now, do you ever get imposter syndrome? Because you are constantly this voice of change, this voice of challenge. I understand that you are highly qualified, that you have a lot of experience now in this sector, but you are young, you are a woman, what specific challenges or barriers have you personally had to overcome to operate in this space in the way that you do? Yeah, oh, I mean, all the time. You know, it's difficult because I do lack some experience. You know, I think you do gain a lot through life, but I actually have a lot to offer. And so I think sometimes being young can, can be a bit of a barrier because you, you know, potentially I sit on things like boards where I'm surrounded by people who are in their 60s, 70s, like they've got all this wisdom and sometimes you do have to be really confident and say, no, what I am going to say, like, I'm going to say it and I'm going to say it with confidence because I think it's got, you know, a lot of, you know, I think it's got purpose and I think it's got meaning. Yes. And I also think that in the world where we are seeing things like social media, you know, completely changing the landscape of a lot of the work that we do, it's also about saying, in this room, I am the expert and I'm the educator. And that rules reverse because I think up until now, that's never happened. Younger generations have never taught older generations. That's so true. Just because we've never had any, but with social media, digital spaces, AI, like all these things that we're navigating, actually younger people know a lot more about it. And I think we're kind of turning the table a bit and saying, this needs to be a, a generational space where we can all kind of learn from one another, but in a really healthy way. But I mean, there's, you know, countless times I've been brought in and really felt that imposter syndrome or felt like I'm the token young person mm-hmm. or the token woman. Mm-hmm. And you think, I don't really know if anyone's actually listening to what I'm saying, but I'm saying it, I'm making sure it's in the minutes and like, you know, really trying to champion it. But I think... What I also see my role is, is bringing people with me. So once the door is open to me, you don't leave it shut. You you hold it open. Yes to that. And so loads of spaces I've been in, I have been the only woman or I have been the only young person, but it's not stayed that way for very long. I love that because you're blazing a trail. Yeah. And I think that's the key thing because then you're, then you just shift it and then you're over 50% and you go, well, you have to listen to us now because we're taking over. But actually, you know, I think that is a beneficial thing. And, you know, sometimes it's a bit of a disruptor phase 
you know, I've sat on boards where a lot of them then leave, but actually you then get a better board and the organization's a lot more successful. And so you think, well, that's just what needs to happen. And so, but it can be difficult. Um, Because what you also don't want is to be the flip side and walk in going, well, I'm young and sparky and fresh and I know everything because that absolutely is also not the case. It's about all sitting around the table and saying like, we can all learn from one another. And I think that is where it happens best. But, you know, there's just so many times that you do feel completely unqualified or like people have no idea who you are and and that's absolutely fine. Um, But it's just about kind of learning from one another. That's so helpful. When we were doing our quickfire questions earlier, just for social media, one of the answers that you gave really struck me. Um, I asked what gives you hope and straight away you said young people. Yeah. And I think that when it comes to trailblazing and speaking out on issues particularly surrounding the environment, climate change, sustainability, Young people are leading the way, aren't yeah. they? Is there a lot to be hopeful about? Oh, there's so much because I think there's a lot of creativity and the, there's a lot of ideas. I think the problem is, is like we've got all these young people full of ideas and inspiration and loads of energy, but they just aren't quite in those decision-making spaces. Yes. And so I think that's why it's important to be bringing them along as much as possible in whatever capacity they can be. So, you know, it's not just like, like, let's plop a young person into this board and hope that that'll sort it. But it's actually about saying, let's support that young person, bring them up and bring more in to, to really bless what is happening. Absolutely. And that is something we are super passionate about here at Skylark International. So we are with you on that. Now, your faith is hugely important to you. And I know that there are some people who can't see an obvious connection between faith in action and climate change. Yeah. How do those two things go hand in hand for you? I know it's one of those things that once you see it, it's obvious. It's everywhere as well. All through scripture, you can just make these links. But I do get it. You know, I grew up in a great church that never talks about climate change. Really? They didn't talk against it, just didn't mention it. You know, we weren't preaching about litter is good, but we just weren't talking about anything environmental. But we were talking about, you know, people in poverty and, and, you know, injustice, but we just never made those connections. And so I picked up my Bible and said, right, well, I'll just start reading and and see when, when I get to something. And if anyone picks up a Bible, page one is Genesis 1, and it's just the story of creation. It's the story of this beautiful world, that is broken now but was for us to to be sustained from to look after to be responsible for and in the first two chapters you learn about the amazing creation story but you also learn we were given responsibility to tend for the garden be stewards of this creation right. look around like that's not happening mm-hmm. so that's the first thing is just this call for creation care just to look after the planet so part of it is just that it's just black and white creation care looking after the home that we've got the other part is about justice. So everything we've been speaking about today, mm. this isn't just impacting a physical world. Guess what? The world will be fine if climate change continues. Physically, the world it will still exist. People will not. People are who are impacted by this. Mm. So when we see our brothers and sisters around the world or even in our own communities, you know, being oppressed or, you know, sitting in that space of injustice, what do we do about it? So we're called to love God and love our neighbor. What is love? Is love a feeling? Do I just have a warm, fuzzy feeling towards you? No, I don't. Love is an action. And I think there's, you know, a Bible verse, I think it's like 1 John 3.18 and it talks about love is not with words, with speech, it's with action and with truth. And I think when you start reading the Bible, you know, there's all this stuff threaded about God's heart for justice and his people. 
And that you cannot shy away from. No. I mean, I just remember that in lockdown, I think it was one of the first Sundays when the whole of the world basically went into lockdown. I remember churches, what did we all do? Panicked and went on to Zoom. And what happened? <laughs> Zoom broke, right? And I just thought that's because millions of Christians are all logging on to Zoom. And it broke. It broke Zoom. And I thought Christians clearly can have a really big impact if we choose to do something about it. Right. We broke Zoom. But what could we do that's better? And I think that's a real challenge for us is to say, Mm. as our local communities, like, what can we do? Can we do that audit and say, what impact can we have that's better? Can we be looking out for people in the community and saying, how does environmental stuff link with what you're doing? But also, when we hear stories around the world of people who are losing their farmland, losing their homes, losing their family, what do we do about that? And, And I think that's where, you know, we need to be seeing the fullness of God's gospel and saying, you know, sharing the gospel is not walking up to someone and telling them about Jesus and then walking away. It's about a whole life response. It's about a holistic gospel. And I think we just don't have that yet. Now, you talked about love and action. And you talked about speaking and using words, but also being practical. And I think that really, as I've sat with you, one of the things that I see in you is that you embody this so beautifully. You do speak up and stand up for that injustice. You are a voice of change and challenge. But in the simple things, this began with you simply just seeing what was wrong and taking action, whether that was picking up litter, which I know you still do (laughs) on a regular basis, um, or choosing to shop differently or taking your Amazon account down in order to think through why we opt for the quick and the convenience so regularly and to reassess and reprioritize your habits. So I love that you embody this Christ-like quality of words and action coupled together. Now I'm thinking about women listening in today who are hugely inspired by what you do and what you've accomplished to date. But perhaps they have an issue of injustice that they're faced with at the moment where they feel that there's something they could do to make a difference, but perhaps just feel insignificant um, or not entirely sure where to start. What would your advice be for those Mm. women listening in today? I mean, I think everything starts with a conversation. Mm -hmm. So whether that is trying to bring together maybe other people that you think might be interested or kind of wise counsel and saying, this is something that feels on my heart. I don't know what the solution is or I don't know what would be helpful, but you never know what can come from that conversation. And I think so often in the work that I've done, you don't need to start with a solution and you also don't need to start with a vision. It can just be a question or it can just be a little feeling, you know, in the back of your head that you're like, that just isn't right. Um, But you slowly bring people together. And I think that's happened, you know, the church I grew up in, you know, they started saying there must be something we can do. And there's now an eco group. They've planted an orchard. They've got wildflowers. They do all this stuff. And it's the same with some of the campaigns that I've run. You know, it's like I've been running this huge campaign over the last years about disposable vapes. you have. Tell us more about that. But I mean, it started with these seem like an issue. Mm. You know, these are hugely wasteful. I'm finding them as litter all the school kids around me seem to be using these. And it started with that question. And I just started to pull people together. Well, it started with a tweet. (laughs) Everything starts with a tweet when you're ranting. (laughs) But it then formed into, okay, who are the other people that I think might be interested? So whether it was environmental people from organisations that I'd met along the way, public health people, parents, like people who had expressed an interest. And we all kind of sat 
on a Zoom call. And we just started talking. Wow. And from there, we said, okay, let's be asking some politicians. Is there a policy that already exists that, you know, is maybe missing? Is there a new area we need to do? Is there any research we can commission to try and actually get a full picture? Can we talk to the brands? Can we talk to the shops? And then it kind of grew and grew and grew. And, you know, nobody started that campaign, or I certainly didn't, saying, this is the solution, let's go for it. It was, let's have a conversation. And so I think my advice to people would be, you know, just have those conversations and mm. see where it leads you, but be open to, like, bringing people in, you know, and, and letting it, you know, meander it the way. Um, and I think that ultimately, um, you know, is the best piece of advice. You know, you don't have to come up with a strategy document or anything like that. You know, it's just have a conversation, be open to seeing where it takes you um, and just really bring people along with you. That's so encouraging because actually that's something that we can all do. Just out of interest, how much impact is that campaign having at the moment? <sighs> Loads. I mean, this has been amazing so it's been going for just over a year and you know for context campaigns to get laws changed or new regulations or you know products banned they take years and years and years mm. you know some take up to 10 years to actually get change in the first year we've managed to to get the UK government to put out a consultation it's coming like we know we're gonna get big action obviously we're still to determine what the government will do but they have done everything we've asked we've had events in parliament we've had politicians doing debates raising questions we've had businesses getting on board we've had coalitions forming awesome across all media you know we've been able to have conversations and still it's like the ripple effect it's all still happening even if we're not you know having to push for it so it's been one of the quickest campaigns to date that's been successful um, it's already won awards and we've not actually finished yet but i mean the big thing is that you know we still need to wait for the government to put in place something that you know the consultation is ongoing but ultimately that's the best that you can ask for yes. because consultations are how the government listen to us the regular people so you know it's been amazing but I think that has been a true testament to working together working collaboratively and bringing in different voices to say you know a litter picking group is just as important as a parent council who are just as important as the shopkeepers association like we all need to work together mm -hmm. to deal with this huge problem the power of community yeah, right absolutely i could talk to you all day <laughs> but we sadly need to come into land at this point so i always finish with the same two questions for all my guests are you ready yep, for this i'm ready so firstly which woman historical or current has inspired you most mm, i'm not i, I would have said my mum but that feels Aww. like a bit of a cop out so mum I love you but I'm gonna give someone else so I think there's an amazing she's she's a climate scientist oh wow her name's Catherine Hayhoe she's also a Christian yeah she's Canadian but lives in the deep south of America so she's right in that kind of oil region you know big fossil fuels big oil and you know she started with just like social media and doing loads of bits and bringing in her you know climate knowledge and, and being really friendly but she's ended up doing things like American TV shows mm. and coming on and just talking. And she talks so beautifully about it because she's so knowledgeable. She's got that. But the biggest thing about her is she's so hopeful. Everything she says is about solutions. It's about hope. It's about getting there. And that is a voice that is so needed. I'm glad it's there. And yeah, very inspired by the work that she does. She sounds hugely inspiring. Final question. In no more than five words... If you could leave us with a motivational quote mm. to live by, what would it be? I think it would be right. It takes a village. So there's four. 
fantastic. I just think because when we talk about any of these issues, like me doing my little New Year's resolution is not going to save the planet. I know that. Everybody knows that. It takes a village. And that's such a positive thing. It takes a village to raise kids. It takes a village to make community. But it takes a village to solve these problems. And I just think it encapsulates all the work that I do. It takes a village. Less waste, Laura. Laura Young, thank you. Thank you. This has been episode three of Bespoke Conversations. Thanks again to the wonderful Laura Young. It's been fantastic chatting with you. If you want to find out more about the work Laura does, head to her website, lesswastelaura.com or give her a follow on Instagram. Big thanks to you for joining me today. Head over to bespokeconversations.co.uk to catch our previous episodes with Zoe Clark-Coates and Swazi McCalley. And if you want to get in touch with us, please do email us at info at bespokeconversations.co.uk. We'll see you next time. If you enjoyed this episode of Bespoke Conversations, please hit subscribe and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can follow us on Instagram at bespoke underscore conversations and on Facebook. Search for Bespoke Conversations and give the page a like. We look forward to welcoming you next time. Your host today has been Nikki Sims and with thanks to our guest, Laura Young. Music composed by Rachel Maddox. With special thanks to our incredible production team. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those held by Bespoke Conversations or Skylark International. Any expressed views were accurate at the time of filming, but may or may not reflect the views of the individuals concerned at a later date. This podcast should not be considered as a piece of professional advice. Any reproduction or redistribution in any form is prohibited without permission from Skylark International. 